I, I won't play on that. <laughs> MP, if you got it. Mr. Grayson, four years old. Come up here and start by look at There you go. Stand up right here where everybody can see. Now look at all of them. Ready? We're going to sing this. Ready? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Grace. Happy birthday to you. Hey, praise the Lord. All right. Prayer request this morning. Prayer request. Yes, she'll pray for her. She's home with a migraine this morning. I give her relief from that. Others? Thank you. 
him all the best on the front, Lord, and I'm there, Lord, and put it to the very first church and pray. Amen. Be seated. Leaning on the everlasting arm, 
Near the cross, I watch and wait. 
Boy, I 
uh, Lord, closer to thee than we've ever been. Father, if you open the eyes of our heart, you open the eyes of our soul, Lord, you help us to see with our inner man, Lord, not just what we can hear with these ears, but Lord, help us to see with the eye of faith. Lord, renew, restore, revive our faith within us. Father God, we live in a, we live in a desperate time amongst a stiff neck and a uncircumcised people. Father, we, they're uncircumcised of heart. They don't care about you, Father. Lord, help us to not let that deter us. Let it not dim our love or our passion for thee. Father, I pray you'd help me this morning. Help those, Lord, who are listening in by way of the Internet. And, Lord, all those who will listen to this later on in the archives, Father, I pray, Lord, that it be for the salvation of souls. Lord God, there's a sinner out there somewhere who will be listening to this. Father God, I pray for their salvation even now. Lord, please help me now as I preach. I give it all to you, and I ask you, Lord, to take all of me and use me in Jesus' name. Amen. We made our way all the way from Mary finding out that she was pregnant with Jesus, and we've come all the way through the garden, through the mock trial, through the scourging, up Calvary's hill, through the nails in his hands and his feet, the Roman spear in his side, him giving up the ghost, yielding up his life, an atonement for the sins of all mankind. And now he's placed in the grave. But yet he didn't stay there, did he? Three days later, the stone was rolled away and the Lord walked out alive forevermore. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is a fundamental of the Christian faith. You cannot have Christianity without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Any more than you can... You, can, you know, you can have an automobile without a radio. I've driven one before. It's kind of boring, but I've driven one without a radio in it. And you can survive without a radio. You can survive without chrome wheels. But you can't survive without wheels. You won't go anywhere. They're a fundamental to an automobile. You can survive without fancy seats, leather seats. But, you know, you can't make it without a steering wheel. That's integral for, that's fundamental to an automobile. Certain things are fundamental. If you take away something from it, you don't have an automobile. You know, basketball is fundamental to basketball. Ten guys look pretty silly out there running around without a basketball. There's no that's a fundamental to the game. You have to have it. And if you don't have the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you don't have the Lord coming out of the tomb on that resurrection morning, we don't have Christianity. Our faith is null and void. If you remove it, if you change it in any way, you have nullified and destroyed salvation. It's absolutely essential, and therefore it's a fundamental. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul said, and, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. How do we know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, the true and the only Messiah? 
because he's the only one who ever came out of the grave alive. His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 14, the Bible says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. All this would be for nothing. We might as well still be in bed waiting on dinner to get ready. If, if, if Jesus had not been resurrected, there'd be no point coming to meet. There'd be no reason. Romans 10, in verse, verse 9, excuse me, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You say, well, I believe Jesus was a good man. I believe he was a great teacher. I believe he, he did a lot of wonderful things and even did miracles. You can believe all that. But if you don't believe he came out of that grave, you're lost. So I believe he was born of a virgin. I believe, I believe God's word is true, but I don't know about that resurrection. You ain't got salvation. <coughs> if you deny it, you can't be a Christian. There's no way you can be a Christian. Without the truth of the resurrection, there is no salvation for anybody. The resurrection makes Christianity superior to all the religions of the world. Every religion that's ever rose in the history of the world had a religious leader, a founder. And every single one of them, if we took the time and looked long enough, we could surely find a grave where their bones still lie. But not with Christ. <coughs> we can't do that with Jesus Christ. Because he's not there. He's been resurrected exactly according to his own prophecy. You realize that there's not any other doctrine in this world that's hated so much by Satan as the literal bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason being that it guarantees a judgment. It guarantees a judgment, and it assures us of Satan's defeat. He lost on that, on that day. When Christ cried out, it is finished. Any glimmer of hope that Satan had for world domination and for, for, to, to, to overthrow God was finished right there. Oh, the devil would love to do away with the doctrine of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I want you to know that in Jesus' day, when Jesus walked on this earth preaching, he, even in his day, the resurrection, it, it was claimed to be false, that there could be no resurrection. In Matthew 22, 25 through 32, the Bible said, Now there were with us seven brethren. This man came to Jesus and said this. There were with us seven brothers, seven brethren. And the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, didn't have any kids, he left his wife unto his brother, or his brother married. Likewise, the second also, and the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and the sixth, all the way down to the seventh. And then last of all, the woman died also. Bless her heart, she'd been through a lot. Amen. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. 
Jesus answered and said unto her, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. You see, they didn't believe in the resurrection. That's why they were trying to say that. That's why they were trying to tempt him. They were trying to throw something at him that he couldn't answer. He said, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven, but as touching the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read that which is spoken of you unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the Isaac uh, of Isaac, and, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Amen? Even in Jesus' day, the Sadducees, they believed there was no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. They believed when you died, that was it. You're dead. You go to the grave. You don't have any thoughts anymore. You're gone. Somebody said that's why they called them that. They didn't believe in the resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Amen? This. So in Jesus' day, they denied a literal resurrection. And in Paul's day, they denied a literal resurrection. And that chapter we started off in, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20, listen to what it says. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. Yet ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life we have hope in Christ, if only, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If all it is, folks, if all it is, it's just some grand dream that, that we've been told, some grand lie that we've been told to pacify our conscience and keep us moving through this life without committing all kinds of atrocious crimes and just doing whatever we want. If that's all it is, he said, we're most miserable because we have hope and our hopes would all be dashed and we'd have nothing. But verse 20 says this, but now is Christ risen from the dead, hallelujah, and become the first fruits of them that slipped. Amen. He's the first one to come out. But praise God, someday, hallelujah, if I go by way of the grave, I'm going to come out. And you're going to come out. And we're going skyward. Amen. First Corinthians again, that same that same chapter, verse 22 through 24. He said, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Because of Adam's sin, while well, the sentence of death passed upon all of us, and all of us have that date with death. Praise God, because we're in Christ. We all have that date with life. And this, when this life's over, eternal life begins. Amen. Well, it's already begun. I shouldn't say it begins. It's already begun. I have eternal life right now. But I get to understand it in its fullness. He said, then cometh the end. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the power, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rules and all authority and power. Oh, yeah. There's a day coming when it's all over for the devil. Oh, it's going to be all over. Amen. I'm telling you, the resurrection of Christ, it's not some rare doctrine. Amen. It's all through the Bible. It's mentioned some 40 times in the New Testament, the resurrection of Christ is. In the book of Acts, it's mentioned there in the first chapter, verses 20 through 22. The Bible says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate. 
speaking of speaking of Judas, who went out and hung himself, and we know what happened to him. The Bible says, and let no man dwell therein. His, and his bishopric shall let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went out and in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Amen. That's the job of a Christian. We are to be a witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I wasn't there when it happened. No, but you got a you got a more sure word of prophecy right here. Amen, right here. That book right there testifies what you need to know and all you need to know. The story of Jonah, which Jesus recounts in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 40. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall be no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And, you know, I'll just say, I'll just give you this, just, just because. The Catholic Church has got everybody thinking messed up on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus more than likely died on a Wednesday. You see, when Wednesday evening ended, that's when Thursday day started. At 6 o'clock in the evening, Thursday day, according to the Jewish clock, started. So he was in the grave that night. Then that day, Thursday, day, then night, then day. Then, then he got up sometime Saturday morning. I mean, he, you think about it. You have, and I ain't got time to go into it and explain it all in this sermon, but I'd be glad to talk to you about it any other time. <clears throat> but again... The evening and the morning were the first day. That's the way God counts time. We count time as morning and evening, but God counts it evening and morning. So when you look at it from that perspective, he had to have died somewhere he had to have died somewhere around three o'clock on Wednesday in the grave by around six o'clock, which would have been the beginning of Thursday night. And again, Thursday day comes, then Friday night, then Friday day, Saturday night, Saturday day, and early sometime before Sunday morning he got up. There's no good Friday, amen. It would have been Thursday. <clears throat> All right, let me get back to it. But speaking of Jesus, Jesus, in, in, in Psalm 16, verse 10, the Bible says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now, I heard somewhere that someone tested the soil that was in the grave where Jesus lay for three days. At three nights. And in testing that soil, it was said that nothing ever decomposed in that tomb. They find no, 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 no signs of decomposition. Now, I can't prove that, but I'm just telling you that. The Bible said, neither would thou suffer thine holy one to suffer corruption. Jesus' body did not begin to decay. Now, I'm going to tell you something. A lot of people in this world are skeptical when you start telling them that Jesus was raised from the dead. And, I, and I'm a skeptic by nature. I really am. I have become a skeptic. I didn't start out a skeptic, but I've become not a skeptic of the resurrection. Don't get me wrong. 
But I'm skeptical of things. This, this, whole, this whole world has greatly disappointed me. I don't know if you feel the same way I do, but this world has disappointed me. I thought, I thought there was more to it. And as I grew up, I began to understand this world's a big, it's a big show of lies. So I question the answers this world gives me. I, you know, there's a lot of things I don't know. But I believe that the old Apostle Thomas was kind of that type of person, too. We like to look down on Thomas. We all doubt in Thomas. But he was—he wanted to be sure. He didn't, want to just, he didn't want to just take somebody else's word for it. You see, the others had been there since Jesus had been resurrected, and they had seen him, but Thomas hadn't been there. And in John 20... Verse 25 through 28, the Bible says, The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Well, except I see in his hand the print of the nails, and put my finger into the prints, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now I'm going to tell you, there's some things that I question in this world. I, and you can say I'm crazy if you want to, but I question whether or not a man actually walked on the surface of the moon. I do. I don't know. I wasn't there. And I think about the technology they had back in the, in the 60s compared to what we have today. I question whether or not that truly happened. I don't know that it did or not. I can't prove to you one way or the other. Man told me it happened. God didn't. I question, I question whether or not we've ever landed on Mars. I really do. I question whether or not that's just some kind of a made-up something to, to convince people that they're more powerful than they truly are. I don't know. I can't tell you for sure. I understand that people can make things look very real on the Internet today. They can fool you. I, if anything Hollywood has taught us, it's proven to us they can make anything look real and can make us believe anything to be true unless we know the Word of God. Let me tell you something happened to me just two nights, two or three nights ago. <clears throat> I was standing out in my yard talking to my brother and his son, and Jackson was out there with us. And we were just sitting there. He got a little picnic table set out there by the camper he's staying in, and we were sitting there at the table just talking. And I was facing north. I was looking up toward the North Star. And out of the – past the camper – it would come to look like a plane going. And then right behind it was another. And it really looked more like stars. And then another. And then another. And then another. And they were in a straight line just going across the sky. And and I stepped out from behind that camper and I said, look at that. And folks, as far as the eye could see, back back over yonder way toward the southwest, there was a line of looked like stars coming in a straight line. My brother stood there and counted 60 of them before he quit counting. That line of stars came from that way and went all the way across the night sky and went all the way toward the northeast and disappeared out of sight. All the way across the entire sky. A straight line of moving lines that looked like stars. 
I got a little bit perturbed. But you know what kept happening in my mind? This don't line up with the Word of God. This don't line up with the Word of God. This can't be the end because that don't line up with the Word of God. I don't see anywhere in the Word of God talks about a line of stars going across the sky. This can't be. I started wondering if it was China. <laughs> I said, is this, is this, is this Space Force? Meanwhile, my, my brother, his son, and Jackson are all freaking out. They don't know what to think. And I backed up, and I was standing there in the dark trying to get a picture of it on my cell phone when this green light come up over the top of my house, way off in the distance, went straight up in the sky. And that's when I got worried. I said, I don't know what that is, but something bad is happening. And then it turned, and I said it was a helicopter. And I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> I thought it was the mothership there for a minute. No, I didn't really. But I don't believe in aliens. But I'll tell you right now, I look, I measured what I, my eyes were seeing by what my mind knew, my heart knew, what the Word of God said. And I knew, I knew this could not be the end because I knew. I mean, even though that was something spectacular I've never seen in my life, in my heart, I knew this don't line up with the Bible. So, any, you know, all kinds of things can upset you and challenge your faith and, and, and stir it and, and Stir you up inside, but let me tell you something. The Word of God is fire. And if what my eyes see don't line up with the Bible, then I'm not going to believe my eyes. What are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say to you that I have far more proof of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ in this Bible than we have of the moon landing or the Mars landing or anything else. And by the way, I'll tell you what that was. That was Elon Musk's... Uh, SpaceX Starlink satellites. They're a train of them. There's over 60 of them, and, and they're broadband Internet. That's what he's launched. And, and most time you can't see it, but if you do, it'll, it'll make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. But anyway, the resurrection, there's more proof than there is anything that man has told us. And I ain't got time to stand up here because we got 15 minutes left. There's no way I could go through the entire Bible and give you all these proofs. But I'm going to give you some things to think about this morning. I got more proof. I got more proof of the resurrection than I got of the shape of the earth. I'm not going to say I'm a flat earther because I'm not. But I don't know what shape the earth is because I ain't never been out that far to see it. Y'all had neither. Y'all don't know what kind of lens they're taking pictures with. But we don't know for sure what the world looks like. Not exactly. But we know one thing. Jesus came out of the grave. Consider the fact that they had a mock trial. They condemned him, they scourged him, and they crucified him. They took his body down and they placed it in a tomb. And they rolled a stone in front of the door. The next day, the chief priests and the Pharisees came to Pilate and they said, Remember that deceiver? When he was alive, he said he was going to be raised from the dead. If his disciples slip around and steal that body, we'll never convince the world that he wasn't raised from the dead. We've got to do something. So Pilate said to seal the tomb. And they placed a Roman seal upon the tomb of Jesus. Now I want you to understand something about that seal. That seal, that, that seal carried with it a sentence of death if you broke it. To, to molest that tomb meant sure and certain death. That seal carried with it the weight of the Roman government. Nobody wanted to mess with that seal, I promise you. Not only did 
Pilate sealed it, but he set guards outside of it. Now, we picture two little old soldiers standing over a garden. But I want you to understand, I don't know how many soldiers were outside the tomb of Jesus. The Bible doesn't specify. But I do know this. I do know that when Peter was in prison, that he had, he had 16 guards guarding him. In Acts 12.4, the Bible said when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth unto the people. Four quaternions. Quaternions means four. So there was, there was, four, there was a, a group of four to watch for this watch of the night, a group of four to watch for this watch. So they, they, surely they put more than two outside the tomb. So you've got the seal of Rome. You've got Roman soldiers. They were daring the entire world to mess with that tomb. You see that? They said, you just try it and see what happens. But on the third day, it was empty. So who removed his body? There's only two possibilities. You realize that? Either man did it or God did it. One of the two. If man removed the body, there are two possibilities. It was either his friends or it was his enemies. And his friends couldn't. Think about it. They were defenseless. They were helpless. Could they have overpowered the Roman guards taking the body of Jesus out of there? No way possible. They didn't have any. They had no army. They weren't trained as soldiers. They were fishermen. Most of them. Could his enemies have done it? Well, they were the ones determined to keep him in the tomb. It wouldn't have made any sense for them to get him out of there. So you know what? If his friends couldn't have done it, and his enemies wouldn't have done it, that leaves only one conclusion, doesn't it? God removed his body from the tomb. God Almighty raised his son from the dead. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are falling asleep. 500 people saw him after his resurrection. Over 500 people saw Jesus Christ alive after his resurrection. Now I want you to think about something. If we're in a, if we're in a courtroom and a trial, if two witnesses get up and they both give the same story, they can sway the whole trial. Two witnesses. Just two. In Old Testament times, at the, at the, at the voice of two or three witnesses, a man should be stoned to death. At the voice of two or three. In America, a jury of 12 can send a man to his death. Yet over 500 born-again believers saw Jesus alive. Five, over 500 saw the resurrected Christ with their own eyeballs. And 25 years after that experience, 25 years later, Paul said that around a quarter of them are still alive and still testify that they saw him alive. As I said in the message some weeks ago, the, the first law of nature is self-preservation. We want to we make sure we're okay and make sure we're safe. You know, we don't want to do anything to get ourselves hurt, much less killed. 
people will go a long way to preserve their lives. Yet many people gave their entire livelihoods. Why? Because they would not recant that they saw him alive. Everything they had was stripped away from them because they would not say, no, he wasn't alive, I made it up. Matter of fact, some of them lost their lives because they would not renounce the statement that they made that they had seen the Lord Jesus Christ alive after his death with their own two eyes. They couldn't, they couldn't, they saw it. When you when you experience it, you can't deny it. And something else too, I see. When we lose a loved one, it hurts. It's painful. We we we, we yearn for that person. We we think on their memory, there's loss, there's grief. And, and time eases it, but time never removes the pain of the loss of that loved one. But it wasn't so with Jesus. Oh, for three days they were they were sad. They 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 were destroyed. But in three days, it all turned to joy. Matter of fact, it lit a fire under them, and they went out into all the world to tell the whole wide world that he'd been resurrected. Now I want to give you three reasons he arose. Here's the message in the last five minutes. You stay with me. Number one, he arose to assure us of the most important blessing, the blessing of salvation. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. 1 John 1.8 says, if we say that we have no sin, we, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. To come short. The Bible says we've come short of the glory of God. To come short, it means to miss the mark. Just imagine for a second that I hung a dartboard on this wall right here. And I gave everybody in the room this morning one dart. And I said, stand up. And everybody take a throw. Y'all stand up here at the front. And everybody take a throw at that bullseye. We're going to hit that bullseye. And every one of you took a throw. And I dare say some of you probably pretty good throwing stuff. Maybe you got a half an inch away. Maybe you're almost right on the line. And then others are an inch or two away. Some of you missed the dartboard completely. Some of you missed the wall completely. Some of you land in the baptistry. I mean, some in the floor. I, but you know what? It makes no difference from the one that landed in the baptistry on the floor to the one that got a half an inch close. Every one of you missed the mark. Not a single one hit it. When God looks down at the humanity, he comes to the same conclusion. Romans 3.22 says, There is no difference. Because verse 23 says, for all have sinned. Every one of us have missed the mark. Every one of us have come short. None of us are good enough. Not a single one of us. I don't care how sweet, how good you think you may have been. You're all lost without Jesus. He was the only perfect man. You and I are sinners. You and I have sinned. And because you're a sinner, you owe a sinner's penalty. Romans 3.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the 
gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages, when a person goes and works a job, they earn their wages. They don't give me that check because I'm pretty. No, you get a check because you worked. Not because they like you, because you worked. You did the labor. You earned it. You deserve it. It's yours. So much. And today's Grayson's birthday. But I guarantee you, nobody gave him a present and said, now go outside and clean up the yard. And you can have the present. If I can tell you, I don't know if he's awake or not, but if they told you that, that's a dirty deal because that ain't a gift. That's earning something. That's working for it. And if you think you've got to be good to go to heaven, you're going to split hell wide open. If you think that going to church is going to get you to heaven, you're going to split hell wide open. If you think you're kidding, because you're kidding somebody saying you're going to heaven, you're going to split hell wide open. If you say, well, my mom and daddy's saved, you're still going to split hell wide open if you don't get saved. See, you're already under the sentence of death. You're already under the sentence, according to John 3.18. Listen to what it says. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, all you're waiting on is to die and be cast into hell and start paying the debt that you owe rightfully. Revelation 20, 14 and 15 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. See, hell's not the end. No, at the last judgment, the great white throne judgment, all that are in hell will be out, will be brought up out of hell and then judged before the Lord Jesus and then cast into the lake of fire forevermore. The Bible says this is the second death. Oh, you died the first time. You say, oh, that's over. No, you're going to die for eternity. And the Bible said, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That ought to scare the living daylights out of anybody who's not saved. To know that there is a real, literal, burning lake of fire, and God is going to say, I gave you every chance, I gave you every opportunity, you even sat in church, you listened to it on the internet, however you got it, somebody gave you a gospel tract, you, you were around a Christian most of your life, whatever the deal, he's going to say to you, you knew, you heard it, and you rejected it, you didn't accept it, and now you'll be cast into that lake of fire. Some might say, well, I don't believe in all that stuff. That's fine. But that don't shut the door and put the fire out. I can promise you that. Somebody might say, well, a loving God would never do such a thing as that. Psalm 917 says, the wicked shall be turned into hell. And all the nations that forget God. Face the facts this morning. If you're a lost sinner, you owe a sin penalty. And if you die without Christ, into hell you go to pay your eternal penalty. A little over 2,000 years ago, the sinless, perfect Son of God died on the old rugged cross, bearing the payment for sin, hitting that mark once and for all, for everyone that would ever believe. He died on that cross, and they took him down, and they placed him in a new tomb where no man was ever laid. And he's the only man who's ever borrowed a grave. Never been anybody borrowed a grave before or since. He didn't need it but for three days. 
He laid in that tomb for three days and three nights, and God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus had made. And to demonstrate his satisfaction for that payment, God raised him from the dead. God's a just God. You understand that? God is a just God. And he wouldn't have set him free. He wouldn't have come out of that tomb had that debt not been fully paid. Your debt. Had your debt and my debt not been fully paid, that stone would have never moved. That Roman seal would still be there. God is satisfied with the debt that Jesus paid in my place. God can look down upon me this morning and he don't see my sin. He sees his son because I'm covered in his blood. That empty tomb says to me this morning that Jesus did everything necessary so that I could go to heaven when I die. Everything. And you can go to heaven when you die if you simply believe that he took your place. Let me ask you this morning, are you believing on Jesus for your soul salvation? Are you trusting him to take you to heaven when you die? Are you believing on something else? Are you believing on good works? Do you trust him? Do you depend on him? Do you absolutely rely on him to take you to heaven to be with him when this life is over? I said, number one, he arose to assure us of the most important blessing, salvation. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus Christ imposes upon us the most exalted duties. What do you mean by that? I'll tell you real quick. Romans 6, 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was walked, I'm sorry, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. When we baptize, when we take the person and we put them, we about to put them under the water, we say, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, buried together with him in the likeness of his death. And then we say, what? Raised to walk in newness of life. You see, when a person gets salvation, they're not the same as they were. Listen, we've had an overhaul, complete overhaul. We have a new life in us. We have a Spirit of God, the Spirit of God living in us. And, and how could you put God into this body and him not show somewhere? As my friend Mark Wheeler said, if God moves, somebody that God moves into your life, he's going to stick out somewhere. You can't keep him hid. If you claim to be a Christian, you ought to walk like a Christian. You ought to act like a Christian. You ought to talk like a Christian. Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not doing this my way because I way I want to do it. No, I gave that up when he bought me. I'm his. So it imposes upon me an exalted duty to give him this life that he's given me. To turn it over to him. Listen, we talk about rewards someday. If he's going to give us crowns, what are we going to do? We're going to cast them back in his feet and say, No, Jesus, you did that through me. You deserve the glory. Well, why not do it now? He gave you eternal life. Why not use it for his glory? 
And number three, and I'm done on this one, the resurrection of Christ inspires us with the most elevated hopes. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18, the Bible says, and you know this passage very well, it says, But I would not thought that I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, which means we won't go before them. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It, the resurrection gives us the most elevated hope. Listen, this world's not my home. I'm just passing through. I don't have to look around and say, well, this is, going, this is the best it'll ever get, because it's not. This is the worst it'll ever get. This is the only hell a Christian will ever endure. First John 3, 2, and I'm, that's the last verse. Beloved, now, we, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear, doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We'll be like him. You talk about elevated hope. Listen, no more old aging anything, no more sickly, no more hurt, no more, no more aches and pains, no more bad days, no more anxiety, no more doubts, no more worries, no more fears, no more suffering, no more loneliness. No more hurt. No, we'll be like him. We'll have a body like he does. A perfect body in a perfect place. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. He talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. Thank God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. My heart's prayer is that if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, this is the great. This would be a great day to get it settled. What a day it would be if we could get it settled once and for all and never have to think again, what if I die, where will I go? You know, there's that song, and we, we, we'll sing it this morning, Jesus paid it all. I'm not sure which one it is, sister, you tell me. 383. Jesus paid it all. It was all done. That's why he said it is finished on the cross because it's all done. All you have to do is come by faith and say, I receive what he has given to me. I believe upon his shed blood that it was shed for me, that, he, that they buried him, but he didn't stay dead. He's alive forevermore. He paid my debt. 
finished and it's over. The salvation has been purchased and I need it. Lord God, give me salvation according to Jesus, according to the Word of God. If you'll come to him and ask him and say you that, he'll, he'll settle it forevermore. I say to you this morning, if you're saved and you're not living up to your full potential as a Christian, and I dare say none of us are, come to him this morning and say, God, please help me. I want that light. I want that light that you put in me to shine. I want the world to see it. I want to make a difference before I leave this earth. God, please work in my life. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, this morning for the needs of the people. Lord, I don't know what this need is, but you know. Father, I pray for the one who's lost and undone without Christ. I pray this be the morning, the Lord, that they, they not worry about what anybody else thinks, that they not let a, a thought, another person's head keep them from going ahead. Father God, I pray this be the day, Lord, that they come to you and they receive Christ and get born again. Father, I pray, Lord, no. Some may be in our midst. Some may be on listening to us all or wherever they're at. Holy Ghost of God, draw them to Calvary. Break their hearts. Lord, bring them to kneel and to receive Christ in salvation through his blood, through his resurrection. Father, I pray you help us now. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. 